Welcome to Habitual Excellence, presented by Value Capture. This podcast in our firm is all about helping you and your organization achieve habitual excellence via one unifying focus, one value-based structure, and one performance system. In other words, it's about helping you capture dramatically more value through achieving perfect care and perfect safety for patients and staff. To learn more about Value Capture and our services, visit www.valuecapturellc.com. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to Habitual Excellence, presented by Value Capture. I'm Mark Graben, and our guest today is Timothy Pearson. He's the president and CEO of Integris Health, based in Oklahoma. Uh, Tim, how are you? I'm great. Great to see you, Mark. That's great to um, have you here on the podcast. And, you know, we've met... um, what, uh, 2010 or so? Something like that. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> we're all getting, we're getting older. <laughs> that is true. And um, there's been, uh, you know, we've crossed paths at Lean Healthcare Transformation Summit events. And I'm glad we'll um, get to talk about what you were doing back then and, and what you've been doing in recent years there at Integris Health. Can, can you first, Tim, maybe tell the audience about your professional background, a little bit about your career path and how you were first introduced to continuous improvement? Was there a particular aha moment or moments that were important to you? Yeah, thank you. Uh, so, yeah, I've been I've been doing this for a number of years. Um, started out uh, uh, working for I've worked for three different health systems, three different health, health systems before Integris Health two health plans, I've worked in the medical group setting and in the hospital setting. So I've kind of uh, had a broad range of, of opportunities. I've been here at Integris Health uh, for th- three years, uh, believe it or not. And, uh, and uh, Integris Health is a, a $2.3 billion health system, the largest health system in Oklahoma City, 18 hospitals, uh, over 600 employed providers, uh, large clinically integrated network of uh, 12, 1300 providers. Um, and so it's uh, been a lot of fun to be here in Oklahoma. I came here by, uh, by way of Intermountain Healthcare. I was there for 18 years, which is where I got kind of introduced to continuous improvement. And uh, I guess just in answer to your question, how did I get involved in, in continuous improvement? I was I was the CEO of a hospital called McKady Hospital in Ogden, Utah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were obviously a, a large employer in that area. And we, we had a, a health plan through Intermountain uh, called Select Health. At that time, it was called IHC Health Plans. But we, we, uh, Autoleave was a client of, of uh, Select Health. And uh, so I was charged with one of many of my responsibilities to make sure I shepherd that relationship. So uh, I was talking to my management engineer at the time. He said, Hey, we got to go down and take a look at at what Autoleave is doing. It's pretty cool. And uh, so I I thought, well, I got to be there anyway to, to kind of establish and strengthen relationships. So sure. Let's go down there. Wasn't anticipating that would change the trajectory of my career at all. But what I saw was just amazing. I mean, and you've been there. So many people have been there. Uh, they really can see their work. You know what good is good looks like. I mean, I didn't. I, I'm not an auto airbag guy, and yet I could see all the spots through the entire shop floor that were having problems, that were winning that very day. 
And I said, man, I've got to figure out a way to, to get that into healthcare. At the time, there was very few that were doing this. Virginia Mason, you had Theta Care, a little bit of Denver Health, or, uh, yeah, Denver Health, but that was kind of, that was really it. And so, um, so I started just piling around in non-clinical areas and just seeing some amazing results. And so um, that was in 2006. So by 2009, I, my, my responsibilities expanded. I was the CEO of the North region at that time with a handful of hospitals. And, and so I was um, trying to figure out an operating system for that region. And we rolled that, we kind of created an operating system, uh, you know, plugged and played. And uh, eventually that became the way we were doing our work. And it worked so well. We performed so well on all the measures, safety, quality, experience, et cetera, in a very short period of time that, uh, you know, eventually um, my uh, my boss at the time was the CEO of the system, uh, Laura Kaiser. She's at uh, SSM now, but she said, hey, how? what are you doing? So well, we're just doing continuous improvement. <laughs> and so eventually that led to me uh, leading that for the entire system. I, I held a dual role. I was still the CEO of the the North region, but also was the CEO of continuous improvement for Intermountain. Intermountain had a long history of clinical improvement through Dr. Brent James. So, right. you know, I mean, there's a lot of really good ground plowed, um, I, I must say, but there was not a, a single operating system that Intermountain flew under uh, with that. And so I was fortunate to work with amazing people um, uh, like Brian Crowell, uh, who you know well, Scott Saxton, Matt Pollard. Uh, these are all guys that we worked together and created what now is called the Intermountain Operating Model. And uh, and it really just drives broad scale improvement across the entire organization. So when I arrived here, I'm like, of course, we're putting together this operating system at Integris Health. And it's been uh, really fun to see how quickly things have uh, accelerated here at Integris Health using these principles that I learned from all over the place, right? And and I became a quick student of going to Virginia Mason, Seattle Children's, anywhere, ThetaCare, any of these places that I could go learn from. But we didn't didn't stop there. We went out to lots of manufacturers, uh, locally as well as nationally, just to see what they were doing. And then we pulled it into healthcare and applied what worked. and, uh, And so it's I feel very fortunate to have learned from so many smart, good people and mm-hmm. got lots more to learn from people. So I'm excited for this pandemic to get done so we can get out and start seeing what other good things people are doing. Yeah. And th- later we'll, we'll bring the conversation back to some of the lessons learned from the pandemic times and, and what you see um, coming ahead. Um, maybe first going, looking back a little bit more, um, you mentioned Matt Pollard for one. He was, uh, regular listeners will know he was our guest in episode 38 of this podcast series. And uh, if people haven't heard that episode, they can go find it in uh, their podcast app. But I want to uh, go back and touch on AutoLeave for a minute, just as a follow-up question there. You know, going through a manufacturing facility, what were the things that jumped out to you as an outsider? I was I wanted to know if you could elaborate on this idea of knowing if you're winning or not. Yeah. Are things normal or abnormal? What were the methods that were apparent to you and, and, and how have you incorporated that into healthcare settings. Yeah, so they had amazing visual systems. So you could just, I mean, you literally walk and poke, poke your head above the, the manufacturing floor. You could see that cell, that cell, that cell was in red status. And then they had a whole set of 
standard work that occurred that wouldn't happen at the time. So, uh, so that was, that was one. And then uh, the way that that's been manifest in the way that, that I've tried to lead is I think it's really important for organizations. In fact, I think it's the very first thing you should do if you're committed to the, to go down this path is to create your operating system framework. It needs to be very simple, but yet have enough meat and be complex. So, you know, one of the key systems that we have here at the Integris Health Way is uh, vi- visualization, right? So, and it's it's training, how do you know what good looks like? So we, we clearly have huddle boards that sort of become the standard now, it seems even with people who don't do lean, they put huddle boards up. But the whole idea is to daily see winning and losing. Now, that's the very rudimentary approach to visual systems is a great one, but it's very the very beginning. Where I've seen it uh, be even better is when people, the frontline caregivers, physicians, and nurses start understanding visualiz- visualization, that they start using these visual cues that they create um, in patient rooms that help them see this is a sepsis patient and I've got to hit this bundle of care in certain time frames, And then, you know, being able to save lots of lives. I mean, we were able to save, uh, you know, hundred or so lives of people on sepsis that would have otherwise died had we not lowered the, the uh, or not improved the rate of the sepsis bundle. So it's just stuff like that around the entire enterprise that, that really helps uh, bring to life some of what I saw at Autoleave. I'd still say we're very young and um, in, in doing this and people haven't fully captured it because it's so human centric in, in uh, the delivery of care, but there are, are so many applications. And if you think of a busy nurse or physician, the, abil- the ability to remember all the things that are going on and the EMR. And, but if you can have something that visually cues them to behaviors or things that they need to do, it really can make a, a significant difference in the outcomes for the patients. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's always great to hear about an outcome like saving lives and preventing harm. And my recollection of that auto leave tour was how safety really was the top focus because they're, they're in the business of saving lives, product quality matters, the airbag that we take for granted that's not too far from our chest as we drive down the road. But then because there are explosives, um, there, there's potential risk to right. employees. And you know, I think that that's driven home from a visit like that to where I think that's another idea. I'd love to hear maybe a little more from you on how that focus is transferable. You said safety, quality, experience, like my roots in manufacturing are on safety, quality, delivery. We, you know, we get access to care and then, and then cost being, you know, an end result. Absolutely. Of those other things. Yeah. In fact, uh, that's uh, one of the things that uh, I I believe that if you, I believe in trying to establish a zero harm culture and that, when, when I got in Integris Health, that was the first thing we worked on, safety. And, you know, I was told by everybody, read uh, Michael Watkins' great book, The First 90 Days. You know, everybody should read that if they're going to do a new role. It's just awesome. But, you know, he's like, don't do anything for the first 90 days. Just listen. <laughs> and so I got here at Integris Health and I'm, you know, doing all what you do, going out. And I'm like, oh, man, we I can't see safety, winning and losing opportunities in real time. And you know, one of the, the, uh, the key um, 
loop closure systems that we had developed at Intermountain uh, was this daily tiered escalation huddle where every single day we got information all the way to the CEO of what was going on from a safety quality, you know, lots of different measures, but the key, those are the key ones, right? And so I got into it and it was literally, you know, I got here August 1st and uh, I think we started the daily tiered escalation huddles end of September. Uh, yeah, September, September 27th. I've got a little cheat sheet in front of me. To remember, <laughs> but so I didn't wait my 90 days. And it, the whole purpose was around building a culture of safety. And it's been pretty interesting. Um, uh, you know, that was the first thing I said, we are going to be a safe organization for our caregivers and for our patients. We've reduced um, serious safety events from the baseline of what we were looking at over 70%. Um, now, obviously, we've learned in the process that there are more events that we need to capture. So we're capturing all those. But from the baseline events that we were really capturing, we've made a significant improvement. Um, our caregiver injury rates, our OSHA recordable rates are uh, half of uh, are, are better uh, by half uh, than the, the healthcare industry. We are uh, uh about right where uh, construction is, not quite at uh, uh, oil and gas, which, you know, in Oklahoma, you got to be thinking about that. So, uh, I mean, this is something that pervades everything that we talk about. It's, uh, you know, it's our very first pillar of trust is safety. And, uh, and we're always talking, you know, everybody has caregiver safety and patient safety on the, on the top of their huddle boards that they're always talking about. And obviously lots of systems built around to try and uh, drive that home. Um, it's just a follow-up question when it comes to those daily tiered escalation huddles. That's something a lot of value capture clients use, a lot of other healthcare organizations use. What are the types of things that need to get escalated to you as a CEO? Yeah. So, I mean, what I, what I um, what what I started up here, what I did multiple times at Intermountain, what I did when I consulted a little bit as well, uh, is I always said, think about the core. I, I call them pillars, but whatever people call them, you know, five what whatever's the work site, you know, in manufacturing. But like, what are those areas? And then you, the things that you need to know. So in, in the case of Integris Health, it's safety, quality, experience, affordability, you know, engaged caregivers, access. Those are the things that we think about all the time. So then it's just asking yourself, what are the key elements that you need to know that you think that you can impact either because culturally you want the organization to know that you know um, or, uh, or whatever. So obviously for me, it was caregiver injuries serious safety events were the first things. We've layered on other things as we uh, matured and uh, and we continually look at it. Every once a quarter, we, we just have a, a standard work process that we just go back and say, okay, is the stuff that we are asking people to escalate still relevant for us? And if it's not, we, we pop it off. And if it is, we if there's something new, we put it on. But we try not to make it long. I mean, it's a, it's a it needs to be about 15 minutes uh, no longer than 15 minutes. And you're not trying to problem solve right there. So you're just trying to understand it and then making sure that it gets into the escalation systems that you can 
follow up. And so here's the crazy thing that we was the first month that we were, that I was here, you know, I'd hear from caregivers, I'd be out talking to them and they'd say, I can't believe, you know, I've been talking to somebody about this staircase that was, or this hill where people were parking, there was no stairs there and, and people were slipping and falling all the time, you know, coming, coming to work and we've now got a staircase there, you know, and they, and they started seeing, Hey, we are really serious about this. And so then we could start to harness their creative genius in helping us solve these problems. Cause I mean, I can't see this from a C-suite perspective. I mean, I, I'm the least person to know what to solve from a safety perspective, but I can put systems in place that facilitate harvesting the great minds of people that are our caregivers. And, uh, and that's what this, uh, daily trade escalation stuff has done. So how do you find, how do you and, and the other leaders at Integra strike a balance uh, between asking people to escalate things for help or for just so you can be aware versus encouraging people to get better at problem solving on their own and engaging everybody in daily improvement? How, how does that best coexist? Yeah, I mean, so we try to, we try to educate just by doing the process. So uh, if someone escalates something up that is something that they can be handled there, we just say, hey, that's an issue you guys can handle. We don't need that escalated up. And you do that a, you know, a handful of times and people just sort of start to figure that out that it's that can be solved. But if, if it's something that crosses multiple departments, uh, you know, then that's something that's very appropriate because they then are not going to be able to solve it on their own. So there's some feedback cycles and, and people Absolutely. get more comfortable and, and better yeah. at kind of filtering what to problem solve versus, or maybe they try problem solving it and then they escalate it if they're stuck. Right. And the other thing is, is we, we have, uh, I have two kind of, so two of the, of the uh, systems of our Integris Health Way operating system. One is daily improvement. So that's idea systems, right? So it's, that's a problem solving mechanism, but it's very visual and tactile for people. Everybody has an idea board. You know, you've seen them. I mean, I think I saw them at Theta Care. And that's a cool thing and, and brought it in. But, you know, so there's that. They, they know how to problem solve and they start to get in that rhythm there. And then we actually have a, a problem solving system. And so we try to train, okay, at the front line, there's, they don't need to know you know, significant high level problem solving tools. They just need five whys, you know, some of the basic things that they can just do right there. So we provide that framework of problem solving for them. And then it's easy to kind of navigate people within that. Oh, hey, that that actually looks like that's a pretty big problem. That looks like it's a, you know, level two problem solving issue. We need to get some experts who have some lean training or some Six Sigma training to to tackle that one. But oh, that's a, you know, just use a five Y that's something that you can do on your own. So that those having the systems in place, which is why I said that's, I think really where health systems and companies need to start is to say, what is your operating system or model? And then you can teach to that model as you learn by doing, um, you know, that's, that seemed to be successful wherever I've been. Yeah. So it sounds like it's not enough for an executive just to tell people thou shalt go do improvement. There's got to be a little bit of methodology that comes with the leadership, the encouragement, the the energy that that comes from leaders. Absolutely, I mean it's culture is intentional, and uh, continuous improvement is intentional. 
And what I say or what I don't say sets the tone for that. And, and so uh, if you don't have a framework, um, you, you're going to struggle. And you can talk about, hey, we got to continue to improve. But if you don't have a way for them to do that, it, it, you're going to be, there's too much friction in the organization to, to, for that to be successful. And for you to, for people to, your caregivers to just grasp on and get excited about it. I mean, that's what you're really after. That's the thing that I saw at Audily, going back to Audily, is, you know, I mean, they were, they were implementing one new idea per, per employee per week. And that's amazing. You know, I, I mean, I've, I've been able to get that uh, here at Integra pretty darn close to one implemented idea per employee per year. At Intermountain, we were about at maybe two implemented ideas per employee per year. So, I mean, to think about having 52 of those. Well, <laughs> and boy, it's just crazy. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, Autoleaf had probably been at that for a couple of decades of right. building that culture and right. the habits and, and, and making sure that it's not bureaucratic, I think, is one of the other key lessons from a place like Autoleaf. Make an improvement, test it, evaluate it, document it. Like it doesn't have to be overly complicated. Yes. Absolutely. So there at Integris, when it comes to the daily improvement approach, how do you measure participation and then impact of that daily improvement activity driven by people at the front line or real close to it? Yes. So I think it's really important in the, in the daily improvement system that you have in, uh, improvement expectations. So people do need to submit ideas and implement them. And number two, you need to track them. You need to track the implemented ideas because it's a great way to celebrate. So we actually have a tracker. We build a tracker and, and we know where we are. We know where the, you know, the target is on the number of goals that we're trying to get. And then we try to really celebrate them in a number of different ways. We have a regular email communication where we highlight every week, every other week, an idea and then a safety uh, a safety share uh, is the opposite week. But that idea, uh, highlighting someone with the idea card, you know, a little description of what they did and, and then an attaboy, girl. And then uh, one of the things that one of the systems in the loop closure system that we use is a thing called worksite reviews where we, we're going physically to the worksite, seeing and talking to people. And so it's like an awesome thing to be able to do, not only just for me, but like from the manager to be able to pull off an idea and say, Martian, nice job, you know, high five. And that sort of reinforcement is huge. And I'll say the other thing about daily improvement that was life-changing to me. Um, when I would go out and round on me, my, uh, you know, my hospitals and clinics and so forth, before I had this operating system, I was, I'd come back with you know, a list of a bunch of ideas that people gave me of how they could, you know, because you'd, you'd ask them, how are you doing? Do you have the tools you need to do your job? Well, blah, 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 all the student stuff that he taught you to do. I'd come back with this list and then I would send emails out to the manager and then I'd have to put ticklers in place. And I was oh, so overwhelmed by the time I got back. So once I had the ideas, uh, the idea systems and the daily improvement system, somebody would come up to me when I'm out there and they will say, oh, I'd really like to be able to fix this. And I said, well, do you have an idea on that? No, I'd walk over to the idea board. Yeah. Rip off a card. I'm like, <laughs> Write that down. That's awesome. And when I come back here, I'm, I see a lot of people. When I come back here, you need to remind me of how this turned out. Because I'm <laughs> yeah. really interested 
all of yeah. a sudden I've taken the accountability off of me and off of the 25 people that I'm going to send emails to, to that individual caregiver now to shepherd that idea with a little bit of encouragement from me or from any other leader in the organization. So that that sort of has helped reinforce and then underscore the importance of that. And that's where we've seen uh, significant uh, involvement in our idea systems. Um, so Tim wanted to ask uh, about some of your thoughts and reflections on you know this pandemic phase. It sounds like roughly speaking, your three years there at yep. Integris was sort of you know, pre-pandemic and now post-beginning of pandemic. Um, what what are some of your reflections looking back in terms of um, what happened, lessons learned, other reflections that you might want to share? Yeah, great, great question. So first of all, our our caregivers are amazing. Our physicians, our nurses, our techs, frontline uh, food services people, environment. I mean, just they were amazing. They're the heroes. Um, you know, we we did everything to support them, to help them be safe and so forth. But they they were the people grabbing the fire hoses and rushing into the building and climbing twelve floors and putting out fire. I mean, it was it was inspirational. Still is inspirational. My heart goes out to them. I mean, they. Caregivers across the country are really, um, you know, suffering uh, mentally, anguish. You know, they they they're still trying to get their heads around all the death and difficulties that they saw. You know, while most of us were sitting on Zoom meetings, they were they were in the thick of it. So, I'm just I'm just reminded of how noble and amazing these people are that chose to be clinicians and other healthcare workers. Um, for their for their life's work, they're inspirational, and, and we need to do everything. I mean, we're trying our best to wrap our arms around them and provide mental health services and other things to try and rejuvenate them. But I think just as a community, you know, we sort of are like, hey, we're out doing our normal thing, and we're grateful they were did they did what they did. But you know, we're moving on. You need to be saying thank you, thank you, thank you, because these people need to hear it. Uh, they've shed a lot of tears on behalf of the community. Uh, and, uh, and while they're caring for our grandma, who we weren't able to love and say goodbye to when she passed, you know, they were the ones that were there holding their hands in masks, telling them it's going to be okay. And so, um, you know, again, I, I'm just so thankful to, to work with these people and grateful for their service. It's just, it's just inspiring. Uh, but so. I, I would say the other thing that was really interesting, it, um, and I had it in spades, because by that time when it hit, we'd been doing this for about a year and a half. So maybe I, I'll give you a little bit of perspective. So I, I told you I, I got here in August. In end of September, we started daily third escalation huddles. But then in October, when I was here the 90 days, I said, okay, here's my vision. We're going to do this operating system, right? So I waited my 90 days. Here we are. And then the rollout of all of what we were going to do, not all of it, but just the basics. So like ideas, idea systems, huddle boards, daily huddles, some worksite reviews, things of that nature that would kind of keep the ball rolling. We rolled out in January. And within by January, we had almost 700 huddle boards up and running everywhere across the entire enterprise. So, you know, that's basically six months. So the next year, we were maturing and growing and learning from in that process, which is it's a total learn by doing type of thing. And then the pandemic hits. Well, I will tell you, if we did not have that operating model, 
operating system in place, it would have been a nightmare. I mean, we, we were able to do things quickly. We already were in the rhythm of acting much more quickly than the organization had ever acted by virtue of the daily tiered escalation huddles, just by virtue of having visibility of what was going on in the organization. And so, um, I mean, it made like, the pandemic was nothing, nothing of it was easy, but this made it much easier <laughs> than it would have been had we not had this in place. And I had people, you know, unsolicited say that to me multiple times throughout this process is, Oh my gosh, I'm so thankful we've got this in place. So, um, and then, you know, just kind of coming out of the pandemic, uh, it's going to be even more important because there's still so much work to be done in terms of improvement, in terms of safety. Uh, it, we need our caregivers, uh, which is an area of focus uh, to be engaged and refreshed. And so for us to be thinking about ways and KPIs that we can think about how we can uh, help them, I think it's just going to be really critical. So. Um, Grateful that we're on the other side. Hopefully, people will keep getting vaccinated so that we can get this Delta variant under control and we don't have to go back down on lockdown or anything like that. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all of those reflections about um, pandemic times. And, you know, we've heard similar reports and some people on this podcast talking about how a previous foundation of continuous improvement or a management system or an operating model, whatever language they were using. Um, was really helpful in terms of being able to respond to new needs, creating new processes, new um, situations, not just improving what had been done before, but helping quickly, um, you know, ramp up um, new ways of work. And um, is there anything from the pandemic that becomes in in a positive way part of a new normal from any of that improvement or innovation? Or is it just a matter of keeping at it now, maybe with, um, the ability to have some renewed energy? You know, I think the thing that I, I hope will be a lasting legacy of this is we can do hard things and we can do them fairly quickly. And um, in fact, I, I was talking to my chief nurse and she's like, I'd love to be able to keep what we had going in the sense that we could understand what was going on make decisions and move, you know, and, and do it, try it, experiment. Right. And then if it didn't work, we just quickly said, okay, failure's okay. Let's just try again and do something different. So I, I think that there, I'm hopeful that what will come out of this is whatever the challenges are in front of us, we, we can do it. You know, if it's, if it's a safety problem, if it's a quality issue, if we're trying to expand evidence-based practice of care, if it's, um, you know, trying to solve the cost, we can, we can do this. Like we, we just did something that, you know, only happens once in a generation. And we, we did it pretty well. You know, I mean, it wasn't perfect, but we did it pretty well. And, um, and so I think just knowing that we can do hard things will help us propel to, you know, continuously improve. So I, I think that that's going to come out of this. And I, I hope that, that sets the tone for the next, 20, 25 years in the way we approach our uh, continuous improvement. Last question here, because um, when we have the opportunity to ask a CEO on this podcast and other settings about their role within the context of something like the Integris Health Way or you know continuous improvement or lean methods, whatever language is used, 
Um, and I think, you know, here with you, we've got a unique opportunity to maybe hear some of your thoughts because in the uh, previously you had dual roles, right. regional hospital CEO and having that VP of continuous improvement role at a system level. And, and, and I had a chance to visit Integris Health once a couple of years before your arrival. I know there were um, ongoing continuous improvement activities and, and I've met some of the people who are leading that and are still there. So how, how do you navigate and delineate you know, the role, um, your role as CEO, and then maybe people that are a little bit more the deeper specialists of, let's say, a vice president of continuous improvement. How, how do you work together with somebody yeah. in that role? So I, I would say, first of all, if you have the right operating system, continuous improvement is fractal and scalable. And, you know, I actually tell my kids, and I've got kids that are young professionals and doing different things. And, and I say, listen, take these principles and apply it where you live. Yes, there will be limitations. There will be friction because you have to deal with that, deal with that in, the, in the broader context of an organization. But you will be successful in your areas because you'll know what success looks like and you'll be working continuously to improve on that, right? So... So that's the fractal part. The scalable is there was a there was a time where in the lean circles there was a lot of chatter about you know go a uh, a mile deep and an inch wide, and I think that's absolutely a mistake. You know, I mean, and, and that may be where you sit. Maybe that's all you can do, right? But like wherever you are, the largest influence you have, go as wide as you can. And go as deep as you can, because it's a learn by doing thing. And if you've got the right operating model, and it and the operating model is simple to grasp and understand some basic concepts, but mature enough to be able to have some depth as you become more mature as an organization, you know, it it becomes a powerful way to drive broad scale improvement. So, as the CEO, you know, I mean, so I, I mentioned that I got here in August. By January, we had almost 700 huddles, huddle boards, idea systems mm-hmm. with data going, going huddles happening, you know, implementing thousands of ideas in the first couple of weeks. I mean, it was, it was just unbelievable because, we, you know, one of the things that I do have is the power of the, the bully pulpit, I guess. I get to get up and say, hey, this is where we're going to go. And I, people have to be willing to follow. It has to make sense. But I think that that. CEOs or COO, somebody at that very top level of the organization, if you want to unleash exponential outcomes, you you have to own the culture. You have to set it up for success. It has to be intentional. And if you do that, it's amazing. One of the things I you know go out and speak at these different conferences, and I'd have people that were a director of lean management or continuous improvement manager that come and say, how do I convince my CEO to get excited about this? I said, well, I said, I think the only thing you can do is just do the best you can do where you're at. And at some point you're going to get noticed. <laughs> and I mean, that's actually what happened to me, right? I wasn't, I, I didn't intend to be, to create, you know, with other people, but create the Intermountain Operating Model. And when I started it, I just said, wow, Audley's got something amazing. I want a piece of that because I think it's going to help me be successful as the CEO of this hospital. And all of a sudden, this hospital 
which had been performing, you know, in the bottom parts of, of Intermountain, all of a sudden became, you know, top performing, blah, 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 blah type of thing. And so then people are saying, well, what the heck's going on? And, and people say, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm not doing it, man. It's the people, the people. I'm just unleashing their create, creative genius. And, and then that just snowballed, right? So do what you can do where you stand, lift where you stand, use an operating model, and then grow it. And as you, as you get opportunities for executives to, uh, to interact with executives, encourage them to, to uh, you know, when you get the right opportunity, encourage them to help you in that messaging. Um, you know, I, I was in a transition at Intermountain between uh, two CEOs. Both of them were amazing leaders, great people. Uh, you know, one was more, hey, I really support this, but you lead the charge. And the other was, hey, I really support this and teach me what I need to say <laughs> to lead the charge. And I can tell you which one went faster from a, a perspective of driving the broad culture. You know, it was obviously the latter. And so I, I think um, CEOs really have a, a really critical, important role in setting the tone of the culture. And, and, uh, it, you know, and I, I participate in all this stuff. I mean, you know, I, I've got my, my leader standard work right here. I've just been checking it off. Uh, when I was sitting at lunch, I was looking at the stuff that I needed to do. But, you know, I, I can't ask people to do stuff that I'm not willing to do. And, um, you know, I, I have an idea system and board as an executive team every week. We, in our leadership team meeting, we spend time vetting our ideas in front of an idea board, just like everybody else. So, you know, if, if you're going to ask people to do it, you might, as, you might as well be willing to do it. And then people see you doing it and, and, uh, and they're, hey, if this guy believes in it, I'm going to believe in it, too. Well, that's great. Well, Tim, thank you for leading the charge there. And thank you for sharing because now, now you're at a point, I know you said earlier, you're, you're going to continue learning, continue in, uh, improving, but you're at a point now where others are going to listen to this and be inspired and say, well, hey, they're doing some good things. We're going to learn from them. So it comes full circle. Well, I hope. I, I tell you, we, we continue to try and pull as much good stuff from everybody around the, the country, the world. I mean, there's so many smart people. Uh, why reinvent this wheel? We can learn from each other, and, and that's obviously what continuous improvement's about, right? Yeah, yeah. Well said. So, Tim, thank you so much for um, everything uh, that that you've shared with us today. Again, our guest has been Timothy Pearson. He's the president and CEO of Integris Health in Oklahoma. Um, I'm looking forward to you know, when the, when the timing and uh, when things have calmed down a bit, and when the timing is right to come see some of this firsthand. If uh, you, yeah, you know. absolutely, pick a, a weekend. We'll take you to a good football game too. <laughs> that sounds good well uh thanks thanks again for being our guest here today tim all right take care thank you for everything you're doing thank you thanks for listening to habitual excellence presented by value capture we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and please also rate and review it in your favorite podcast directory or app to learn more about value capture and how we can help your organization on this journey to habitual excellence, visit our website at www.valuecapturellc.com.